Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I gotta look into this. I just came across the headline and I don't know much about it. But it seems like something I should know much about it. Um, it was tweeted out by uh, someone saying, periodic reminder that the Chinese Communist Party is comprehensively evil. And it's a quote from agweb.com. I don't know their act, but it says, China has breached the inner walls of the U.S. agricultural industry in what has arguably been the most expansive heist in farming history and is currently attempting to steal or hack every conceivable facet of U.S. agriculture technology. I have not heard a word about this. That sounds like a big deal. And like I would say it is. Uh, while America slept, China stole the farm. I'll look into this and bring it to you either today or tomorrow. Yeah, well, we can combine that with some of the information we shared earlier about China's efforts to infiltrate our electric grid, among other critical systems, with their technology, with uh, off switches, kill switches, secret kill switches installed in part of the hardware, uh, essentially bombs, not not like would go kerblooey, but would make the system falter. All sorts of stuff. And, and, you know, both parties are waking up to it, which is really encouraging to me. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. I just saw the catch I heard about with the uh, women's fast-pitch softball, which I think we're going to compete in the Olympics. Is that right? They got the championships going on right now? I don't know. I'm not really into the Olympics right You're now. You're not? You're not into the nah. Olympics? Nah, just nah. Don't like America? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> fair, fair charge. <laughs> um, you got no, me. I just the whole Japan doesn't want it, and when is it anyway? And, and, uh, <laughs> it's in like forty days. Soon, right. too far away. I don't know. And then For, the, about and, forty days. China's got and, the next one, and all sports are on somewhere all the time. And then the commie Chinese have the next one, and the Olympics are rigged. They're not rigged; they're corrupt. And I I'll, just, I'll I watch know. Simone Biles dominate the world. I'll probably watch sure. that. And uh, yeah. what else do we always watch during the summer Olympics? We never miss. 100-meter dash. 100 meters yeah, big. The, yeah. First first time without Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt in quite a while. So Yeah, a lot of the track and field is pretty big. The swimming's huge. Right? Well, we got no stars. There's been Michael Phelps, I don't think, is involved. We don't have well, Usain Bolt on the track. stars until they're stars, up-and-coming stars. Yeah. Please. We'll need some of those. I like to watch yeah. the diving. That's a little splash. Huh? That's a big yeah, splash. Yeah, you got no, no, no big splash. No Boom, you suck. <laughs> Boom, big splash. Huh? Boom, you just failure. did four and a half somersaults and seven twists, but you made a little ripple in the water. You suck! <laughs> From, like, four stories in the air. Yeah, I would no have kidding. thrown up halfway down. Nobody, you talk about, we always talk about the <laughs> oh, events. That's, that's three-tenths of a point deduction, Sean. If there's visible vomit, three-tenths. We always talk about the events that, the you know, the average person would be the worst at. The average person could not even jump feet first off the 10-meter platform. I don't think so. Not, not even will. close. That's you'd 30, end up giving yourself an enormous enema if you did that. Thirty feet in the air. There's no. Most people would never, ever, ever. Only at gunpoint jump off that thing, let alone do a dive. Well, they, you, uh, they couldn't make me climb up the ladder, much less leap down. <laughs> right? Didn't Jack have to climb down from the high dive? At- yeah, and that's a ten foot board. This is thirty feet. I can't even imagine how scary that would be up there. And we have now our average Joe competitor. He seems to. Oh nope, made it only halfway up the ladder. Still nobody making it to the top. The Olympic officials are using the cattle prod, Jim. He's on his hands and knees crawling back from the edge. And they're forcing him back to the front. This We've never seen this, Jim. Wow. 
Wow. But I haven't heard any big stars' names other than Simone Biles. We don't yeah. got. Yeah, I'm thinking of Flo Jo or Carl Lewis. I mean, names from way back. There was always like some giant names. Michael Phelps, as Sean mentioned. I, I got nothing. I got one name. Simone Biles. One. Yeah, maybe that's part of my problem. I don't. I don't know who I'm rooting for. America Man. Show. Well, okay, all right. Jiminy. Speaking of America, here's oh, is this uh, is this fit for Wokeshiviks on the march? The uh, theme music, probably not. It's just a little a little uh, review of the great progressive experiments on uh, California's, or I'm sorry, on America's West Coast. Uh, for instance, you got your Oakland Guarantee Income Program. You may have heard about this uh, a few weeks ago when it was announced that no white people would be allowed to apply. And interestingly enough, people found that discrimination specifically and exclusively by race to be somewhat racist. And so the people, the, the, the city fathers and mothers of, of Oakland, having been alerted to the fact that it was patently, obviously, outrageously racist, dropped that requirement. The fact that somebody had to point it out to them is just a measure of how deluded some of these people are. But they're going to provide $500 a month cash payments with no strings attached for 18 months. And uh, they've selected one neighborhood that's going to be the, the, the pilot program. But I like this quote from Mayor Libby Schaff of Oakland. Poverty is not a personal failure. It is a policy failure. Ah, uh, no matter what, no matter what. What if I'm, what if I'm an underachieving drunk? And I popped three kids because I got no sense of uh, responsibility. And hell, I'm not even pretending to raise them. I hit my baby mama's place now and again for a meal, but I'm doing nothing. Is that a policy failure? In what sense? Anyway, we'll see how that grand experiment in utopianism goes. Uh, the the big fight right now in San Francisco is over uh, portable toilets. At one point, the poop gate. Uh, crisis in San Francisco, where it became the poopiest city on the planet, uh, caused the uh, the uh, the city fathers and mothers to to put out a bunch of the big blue porta potties, like the nice ones with the attached sinks and stuff like that. Well, they, they, put sh- they start they start nice. How long do they yeah, stay well, nice? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but so uh, well, because you remember the, those ones they had at the RNC, those ones had everything but like a bathroom attendant in them. Yeah, right. those were super nice porta potties. But you know, we weren't all homeless people going in. There. <laughs> yeah, true that. Uh, so anyway, a bunch of the city council people said, "All right, we got to get these uh, porta potties off the street because they're causing people to settle near them. Tent cities pop up near them." But some of the activist, the progressive people are saying, "No, no, we need them out there. The human dignity demands that people be able to poop." In private, not on the streets. And aren't you mad about the people pooping on the streets? you got to give them toilets. And so there's a big fight within the city council over whether you make it more hospitable and easy to be a junkie or less. I remember seeing a documentary once about the big, those big octagon toilet things that they had around San Francisco back in the day. And, oh, yeah, they were, like, imported from France or something. And, uh, you know, a bunch of people could fit in there. And, and they, they, it was a documentary, and they'd have footage from in there, and there'd be, like, ten people just sitting in there doing drugs and drinking, hanging out. So uh, here, here's one of the main reasons I brought you this particular story. What do you suppose it costs to have one of those porta-potties on a street in San Francisco for a year? I don't know. I got a gross porta-potty at my house for... It was like $100 a day. Yeah. This one was well, gross. 
for some reason, <clears throat> and uh, and whoever's in charge of Los Angeles producing tiny rental units for five hundred thousand a pop will appreciate this. It costs for, uh, from just over one hundred thousand dollars to six hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars a year to staff and rent a toilet, depending on the kind of bathroom and how many hours it's open a day. One toilet. Yes. Yes. Ah, eh. toilet. Uno toilet dollars a day. How could that possibly be? The total price uh, tag for the program for toilets set up uh, for COVID relief was ten and a half million dollars. FEMA reimbursed two point five million of them. Evidently, uh, the uh, among the emergencies uh, that FEMA takes care of is I got to go now. It's an emergency. So from one hundred thousand to nearly six hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars a year to staff and rent a toilet. I, the, the, how much staff do you need in your toilet? I don't. I think that would be kind of off-putting. Uh, I think they mean cleaning it and that sort of thing. So unbelievable. The homeless in, industrial complex. When I was in Moscow, they had the great public toilet situation, and they were all pay. I think that's the key to public toilets: is you gotta you gotta make them. You have to pay a little bit. That doesn't help the bums, but nothing is going to help with the bum situation. They don't care. But just for regular people, they'd be able to use the bathroom, and it was pretty cheap. I mean, you went in there, and it was basic. It was all cement floor. It was very clean, but it was basically just a hole in the cement. And then I got to believe there was some sort of receptacle underneath that they changed regularly. I see parallels of that in in online gaming, where if a gaming costs even a dollar to get, the level it. of toxicity in like the public general chat room areas is infinitely better than a free to play game. Doesn't surprise me. I've been advocating for years. Back when I used to go to festivals all the time, the asparagus festival or the bratwurst festival or whatever, the ones that were free were disgusting. If they charged a dollar to get in, it was a whole different world in terms of the crowd. Yeah. Isn't that something? It is. You something. sound li- a little bit like an elitist. By charging a dollar? Yes. Yes. What about poor people? Don't they have rights to eat asparagus at a fair? <laughs> On a stick. And listen to a cover band play Taking Care of Business. And eat fried novelties. And finally, our final stop in Seattle. Nobody saw this coming. The unintended consequences of rent control and eviction moratoriums. This is actually an editorial by somebody in the property management business. State and local lawmakers are creating a problem that they do not, or perhaps refuse to, understand. And that's the erosion of the single-family rental house supply. This editorial actually appeared in the Seattle Times, which gives me hope that uh, the great city of Seattle may return to at least some measure of sanity. In my more than 10 years of experience, never have I seen so many people searching for a new rental house because the one they live in now is being sold. The reality is not that the owners of these rental houses necessarily want to take advantage of the hot seller's market, and it is a hot market. No, unfortunately, a sweeping trend among housing providers is that they are selling the rental houses due to policies handed down from state lawmakers and Seattle City Hall. I should be happy that this is precisely what we said would happen. And anybody who seriously has like a seventh grade understanding of economics can comprehend this, but... They mention that especially among lower-income families, um, the Section 8 voucher housing crowd, um, it 
places strict guidelines on location and bedroom count. And in my experience, writes this person, many voucher-holding families uh, are of large enough size that a single-family house with three-plus bedrooms is their only viable option. Where are these families to turn when such houses are no longer offered as rentals? The typical two-bedroom apartment does not work for them. And he goes into some detail, um, which Seattleites probably recognize, of how the utopian desire to make every unfortunate family uh, not only give them housing, but make it impossible to con- to evict them, uh, make it impossible for, for homeowners to sell if somebody was living there, there was an explosion in dumping rental properties. So now they have this incredible crisis uh, on the available of rental availability of rental properties. It's the world's least surprising crisis. It's just unbelievable. I'll look into that story. I just came across how China's trying to take over, uh, infiltrate all of our ag business, which is really troubling. Um, um, looking for some ideas on how to handle a certain homeless problem. I, I came up with a spark yesterday. I'm not exactly sure where to post it. Maybe some of you smarter people can help me help me with that. So this is your idea? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Huh. yeah. I took a picture of a homeless dude, and I want to post it, and I want to... Start a conversation, but I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to approach it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you can, ex- somebody could explain that to me. Uh-huh. Since you don't have, new- in the old days, it would have been a newspaper. I would have been, you know, written a letter to the editor, but I don't think anybody reads newspapers anymore. So, no. Can you tweet it or is that, uh... maybe that'd be a way to do it. I don't know. Um, a bunch of other stuff on the way that we want to bring you up to speed on. A text line is 415295KFTC. Anybody excited about the Olympics? I don't feel Olympic fever. I don't, yeah. I just don't feel it. Yeah. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think addiction is one of the most fascinating topics about uh, human nature all the way around. It's just, it's just, it's, it's so interesting and fits in with uh, probably with the homeless thing I'm about to talk to uh, talk about because he's probably an addict of some sort. I mean, some some of you all don't believe in addiction. Everything's a personal choice. Um, some of you believe everything in his addiction and there's no such thing as personal choice. I think it's somewhere in between there, but I'm not exactly sure where you draw the line. Yeah, there's a lot that's still not known. Uh, oh, God, a ton that's not known. Here's an example, though. An, a Los Angeles nun who had taken a vow of poverty embezzled $835,000 to fund her gambling habit. Oh. Clearly a gambling addict. Wow. And couldn't overcome it. Um, Margaret Cooper, 79, charged Tuesday with wire fraud and money laundering. Embezzled over 800 k in donations, tuition, and fee money from St. James Catholic School in L.A., uh, in Torrance, actually. Um, was the school principal for 28 years. All those people that donated that money, you know, to do God's work, and she squandered it on gambling. Wow, I can't even imagine the stress that that sort of lifestyle would would put you through, and yet she couldn't or wouldn't stop. Um, I read the other day, it's the first time I'd ever come across anybody saying what I have said for years, uh, but it was somebody saying about how uh, if you have an addiction of any kind, you can recognize it's an addiction, uh, but you don't get other people's addictions. So, like, I'm an alcoholic. Gambling seems stupid to me. Stop. Why don't you stop? It's moronic. 
But you're going to lose addicts, more than you win. I mean, duh. duh. People, people who are gambling addicts think, you know, why don't you stop smoking or whatever. You know, it's just whatever your thing is, you realize I have no control over this, no matter what. I know it. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm still doing it. Um, but we don't get other people's. So I don't know. Anyway. Uh, brief version of this. I, uh, uh, having trouble getting Henry take some medicine he needed to take, offered him, uh, he, you can get every, whatever you want at Baskin Robbins if you take your medicine. That was good enough. He took his medicine. Off to Baskin Robbins we go. First, uh, probably the third time we've been to Baskin Robbins, this Baskin Robbins in like two weeks. Same freaking loser degenerate hobo parked on the same bench outside Baskin Robbins. The best place to sit in the area. Under a shade tree, shops and stores around, downtown of a very upscale town. He apparently owns that bench. He's always on that bench. Nobody else can sit there. There are two benches next to it that nobody sits on unless there's another degenerate homeless person comes by. They're willing to sit next to him. Nobody else does because he's like laughing to himself, then arguing, then kind of crying or asleep. He smells Mm. like a garbage dump. And he's been there three times in the, in the last week and a half. And I took a picture of him and I wanted to like piece together some sort of brilliant by my standards. This guy apparently owns this bench and explain, you know, how, what that takes away from all of the rest of us because he's decided that bench is his and why we put up with it. Right, and I know including this is, the business, which is paying very high taxes to oh, be right there. Oh, yeah, and uh, and I know this happens in towns all around America. Why did we decide he gets to have the n- n- nice spot, shade tree, with your ice cream, your magazine from the cool bookstore over there, whatever. He gets to own that bench. We don't, just because he decided that's where he's going to sit his filthy bum every single day. What a weird thing to do, but I don't know where you put it in a newspaper, you post it on uh, TikTok. I don't know what you do with things these days. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I just came across what is going to be my kid's favorite story of the day. The Megalodon shark was even more massive than previously thought, according to new calculations. That'll be the story for my boys, because they love the Megalodon shark. uh, Any news about that is big in their world. Wow. You know, I just, I ran into a guy who's working on a golf course I play at, and he said, you know, when they redo uh, sand traps in various uh, areas that that use sandy stuff, he said, check it, because sometimes they just, they dredge this stuff up, and they'll come up, they'll come across a vein of Megalodon teeth. You can find them all over the place. They're the most um, um, prevalent fossil in the world is megalodon teeth. Huh. I learned this just a week and a half ago as we were at Hoover Dam, and for some reason in their gift shop at Hoover Dam, they had megalodon teeth for sale, and my son really wanted one. I was shocked at how cheap they were. I thought, how could a fossilized tooth of a giant 50-million-year-old shark be five bucks? And then it said on the box, it's the most, there's gazillions of them around the world. Well, because sharks right. shed their teeth pretty frequently. Right. And there were yep. hundreds yeah. and hundreds and millions of them for millions and millions and millions yeah. of years. So there's that. Uh, quick follow-up on my story about um, recognizing that the same homeless guy is always on the same bench in one of the nicest spots in the town I live in. So if you're going outside to eat your ice cream or whatever, that guy's always there. And to me, he well, to my family, he's menacing because we got assaulted by a homeless guy who looked a lot like that guy who's now in prison. 
Um, maybe you think every homeless person you come across is a gentle soul who's just screwed by the system. That's not always the case. And you don't know until something happens. So anyway, we got this text that I thought was interesting. Um, who, who, who lives in the same town uh, I'm near, apparently. The bum you're talking about, his name is, gives the name. As a manager of another downtown business, it's funny, as soon as you start talking about it, I knew exactly who you're talking about. Every so often, he'll just stop in front of our store, and he'll talk to people at random, and they get freaked out and scurry away. Really great for business. But my point was, I wanted to, like, post something on uh, Twitter or write to the newspaper and say, this guy clearly owns this bench. It's his bench. I've been here three times in the last week and a half. He's always at this bench. Nobody else gets to sit here. He's too scary-looking and sounding for anybody to sit near him. So he's taken the nice, shady spot in our beautiful downtown square, and he owns it. Have we decided that that's a good thing? It seems to me that there's two things. Since he's talking to himself and everything like that, is he crazy? If he's crazy, you got we got to get him. Society has to get a crazy person into some sort of facility. If he's mm-hmm. crazy, you just can't leave him there on the bench talking to himself and owning that public space. Or it seems like an odd policy for an advanced society. Or yeah. he's or he's a loser drug addict, in which case he needs to be booted out. It seems like those are really the only two choices. Yeah, well, that's uh, progressive policy has nothing but compassion to it. It has no order. It has no discipline. You know, and, and it, 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 all good policy has to have a mix. I mean, they, well, I, I said it. It's all compassion, no discipline. And the result is that the undisciplined get to run roughshod, and, and the citizens just get screwed. It's wild that we just give over public spaces to the homeless, though. Well, you get that over, you get that underpass now. That's just yours, I guess. Or this uh, this bench in front of this business, I guess that's just you and your buddies now. You guess it doesn't it belongs to you now. Why? Well, it's, it's the parks and schools that really bother me because they're so sure. expensive and they're dad. You know, the taxpayers all get together and and it's not cheap to build and maintain a nice park. The Department of Parks and Recreation, perhaps you've heard of it. They all make money over there. Uh, different topic came across this kind of randomly from AgWeb.com. I don't know their act at all. While America slept, China stole the farm. I didn't know any of this stuff. American farmers are asleep as a thief strips machinery, barn, bins, and fields of all valuables and then returns for more. China has breached the inner walls of the U.S. agricultural industry and in what has arguably been the most expansive heist in farming history and is currently attempting to steal or hack every conceivable facet of U.S. agriculture technology. The Chinese Communist Party openly has declared its intent to dominate high-tech industries across the world, including agriculture, by 2025. That's just three and a half years from now. Undergirding its technological superiority effort, China has unabashed plans for a solo climb to the top rung of the global power ladder by 2049, as we all know. In order to fuel its ascendance, the CCP is engaged in widespread theft, cyber hacking, and espionage. We've talked about this in the past, a 27 report by the... um, uh, U.S. Commission on uh, American Intellectual Property estimates that between a quarter of a uh, trillion or $600 billion is taken out of the U.S. economy each year by China uh, stealing our intellectual property. $600 hmm. billion a year? That is absolutely unbelievable. In 2020, the FBI acknowledged multiple espionage benchmarks a new China-related counterintelligence case opens every 10 hours. Over half of all active FBI counterintelligence cases involve China. 
over half of all of them. And across the last 10 years, economic espionage with links to China jumped by 1,300%. Can you imagine if a country had a whole of society, you know, 100-year plan, to 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 rip off to dominate to 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 steal from and and surveil its its great rival and that great rival was in the midst of a period where it was saying come on in sure no problem to the point that and I've told this story before where the FBI went on to a major college campus told the university president a number of the Chinese scholars you have working here are uh, Chinese agents they're spies and they were told get off my campus you racists. This was not long ago. It was in the 2000s. Can you imagine a, 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 a target so soft? God, China just, they've got to be guffawing behind closed doors. And, and sad that it's come to an end, and, and they're a little pissed off. But well, I think they're mostly surprised it lasted so long. Anyway, this article goes into depth on how particularly they're aiming at agriculture and just robbing us blind, and, uh, and we're not paying any attention to it. Which fits in a little bit with this um, podcast out of the New York Times for today, uh, David Sanger and others talking about how uh, Trump set the table for how we were going to try to take on China, Sean, and uh, and uh, that Sanger clip that we were talking about earlier, how uh, Trump had set the table for taking on China around all this theft and everything like that, and uh, Biden is continuing it. That's right. Japan was a commercial adversary, but not a military adversary. And China's the opposite. But, you know, Michael, something else happened in the course of this that changed the debate. And that was Donald Trump. What do you mean? He walked away from all of the usual Republican ideology on this issue and many others. When he made that turn about a year and a half ago at the beginning of the pandemic, and began describing China not as a potential dealmaker with the United States, but as its mortal enemy. And that cemented the view in his own party that any bill that was described as a counter-China bill was worth passing. That was what changed the debate. And when President Biden came in, he actually extended this debate by casting it as the battle between democratic forces and autocracy. And the Senate passed one yesterday, and so that's two days in a row that we've had reporters on from Trump-hating newspapers who say Trump was on the right side of this when he started to treat China like an enemy. Josh Rogan yesterday from the Washington Post, and that's David Sanger from the New York Times, that that pivot that happened... Because Trump didn't give a crap what, uh, you know, what, what was was the orthodoxy or the studies said or the policy people or whatever about how you should approach this. He just declared all of a sudden, China's an enemy. China's an enemy of the United States, and here's what they're doing. And I'm going to sanction them and this and that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I was just reading an article about all the people in the the Biden administration who are married to other people in the Biden administration or their sister is the editor in chief of the Washington Post or whatever. Just the incredibly small nature of Washington. And I think most of us don't quite get how if the entire, you know, patched elbow pipe smoking intelligentsia of the State Department 
The whole culture of D.C. believes one thing about, for instance, China policy. It's hard to go against that and say, mm. no, you're all wrong. They're robbing us blind. They're our mortal enemy. And yet, that's sociologically, for some reason, hard for people to do because they want to be popular in that big high school. Well, Trump came in and he didn't give a crap. You know, for better or worse, and in the case of China policy, it may have saved our ass. Oh, absolutely. The fact that he knew those people would never accept it. How long would it have taken for a president to have had the guts to uh, to really turn the, 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 the ship the other direction on China? Remember day one of his presidency? There were two stories day one of his presidency. One, how big was the crowd on the mall? And two, that he made a phone call to the leader of Taiwan. And, oh, boy, that just shows how stupid Trump is. You are not supposed to do that. You are supposed to talk to China first because it's important that we that China realizes that Taiwan, blah, blah, blah. He got so much crap for, for, for not getting it. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was poking China in the eye and saying there's a new guy here with a different attitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Chinese uh, surveillance and, and, and sabotage and the rest of it, we ought to play some more of that David Sanger stuff where he's talking about how foolish we were, how incredibly stupid we were, trusting communist China to sell us a bunch of our critical infrastructure equipment. You want to get to that next? Yeah, absolutely. How All about right. the fact that they got a secret off switch that Beijing can turn off our stuff whenever they want to? Yeah, that's real. Stay tuned for this. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Members of Congress saw in both classified and unclassified session some pretty remarkable examples. One is that a few years ago, the United States was bringing in some very large electric transformers, the kind you use to power the electric grid. Mm -hmm. And when they sent them off to one of the national labs for examination, they discovered some hardware inserted in the transformers that was not part of the design spec. Hmm that would have essentially enabled somebody in China to flip these on and off. We bought transformers from China for our electric grid that had a secret on-off switch that could be accessed by Beijing. Holy crap! I mean, it's a Trojan horse story thousands of years in the future. All over again, except they're doing it at every damned level. I didn't hear that last part. I'm too busy looking at my brand new horse. Look at this thing. It's great. It's fantastic. A giant horse. I think I'll bring it inside the castle walls. Look at the size of this thing. (laughs) You know, they point out in the uh, heritage.org article on this story that it's widely understood that a major power grid collapse could be the single most deadly event in U.S. history. It could deprive tens of millions of Americans of the basic elements necessary to sustain life. Those living in large cities would be particularly vulnerable. And we were talking about why that might be so deadly and and kind of partially explained it, but a couple of things. Number one, think of the panic buying uh, because of the COVID. Think of the violence, the looting of stores, the rest of it. I'd want to get Um, out of an urban area, but you wouldn't know at the time that it was going to last for a long time. 
But man, if there's ever an outage like that, I think get out of a get out of an urban area. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely true. But Marla in L.A. sent us some really interesting stuff about electromagnetic pulses and how they would knock out the power grid. Well, this would be a different way because China is absolutely dedicated to the idea of there's a term for it. Um, it's essentially uh, let's see knocking out uh, the infrastructure of your opponent. I can't remember the term, but I'll find it. Oh, uh, system destruction warfare. Do you need a fancy term when all you did was put an off switch on all their equipment and they were too stupid to look at it before they put it into their power grid? Oof. But anyway, uh, the description is, we're a 21st century uh, fractured society at each other's throats with zero survival skills and would be immediately plunged back into the 19th century. Problems would arise immediately in water purification, sanitation, transportation, communication, and food supply. Immediate issues would be electrically powered medical machines, refrigeration of both insulin and food supplies, which would eventually lead into mass chaos and violence as the food and water supplies dwindled, etc., so this vulnerability is not like, well, I, I can't flip through Facebook for an hour because the Chinese shut off the power. No, it's it's cataclysmic stuff. Anyway, let's get back to Sanger, huh? That that's just have time? St- that's yeah. just stunning. Yeah, let's hear. Did we just play fourteen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do fifteen. And then in the telecommunications area, we saw something similar. We saw internet traffic that was running through. Chinese-controlled elements of the network inside the United States that was mysteriously being routed to Beijing before it came back to the United States and elsewhere in the world. Hmm. And people started asking the question, why is it that China could, from a base in the United States, route traffic at will back to Beijing? Mm -hmm. And then as the 5G argument revved up and we were urging allies not to buy the Chinese networks, we had nothing to offer them because American companies had gone out of the business. I also remember some of the, you know, Trump's a racist stuff around that as we were trying to convince the world not to use Huawei for their 5G because he's so anti-China. If this is what China is up to, and it's clearly what they are up to, the world cannot use Chinese products. Oh, no. And the fact that Britain was insisting that they wanted them as recently as a couple of years ago is just astonishing. Uh, getting back to the heritage piece, uh, not only the off switches and the routing uh, web traffic through China thing, but uh, this guy who's in charge of security for a think tank worries about sensors, actuators, and drives installed in imported equipment. Even if they're not connected to the Internet, such hardware notes could be designed to sabotage the grid by sending bogus readings and causing shutdowns. Um, so yeah, God, we are enormously vulnerable. The whole drive toward globalization and away from any sort of sense of, uh, well, America first, you know, national priorities taking precedence. I mean, I, I get why it was good in a lot of ways, but man, the globalists themselves don't give a crap. Uh, if, if the U S ends up getting dominated by a communist power, as long as they make money. Oh, you're nativist, you're, you're racist, or you're a xenophobe. No, no, I understand how the world really works. Speaking Take of the, China at the word. They've, told, they've desperately tried to tell us who they are. Speaking of the world, it looks like we've got a new world record. I've always been a fan of world records. We watched the Simpsons episode yesterday in which Springfield was named the world's fattest town, and Homer <laughs> and everybody were very excited. 
<laughs> wearing his fat pride t-shirt. But anyway, here's a woman, 37 years old, claims they haven't nailed it down yet, but it claims that she had 10 babies at once, which would be a world record. Naturally conceived C-section, but uh, and all the babies are okay. 10 mm. babies at once. Breaking the there's, world record of nine. There's no way they're full term and... Uh, 29 weeks. Of, 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 of big enough size. Uh, she gave birth at 29 weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty good. What are you supposed to do again? 40? Yeah. Yeah. You'd think I'd know this. Yeah. Do you need to know it anymore? No, I don't need to know it anymore either. Well, that's basic human biology. I like to be up on the beast that I am. This picture of her. And ladies, I am a beast. This picture of her <laughs> pregnant. There ain't just one baby in there. I mean, you're certain about that. The doctors knew she was going to have six. They thought she was going to have six. There were four hiding behind the other six. They kept moving around. Yeah. Hold still. I'm trying to count. Cowards. Ten babies. That's unbelievable. That's a that's a five on five basketball game, full court. Yeah, it's just seven boys, three girls. Yeah, that's right. You could you could you could have a full five on five basketball game with well, siblings. You could you know field a baseball team with a relief pitcher. Jimmy, yeah, you're you're through here. Johnny, get in there. <laughs> ah, come on, give me a chance. <laughs> I still got good stuff, Skip. <laughs> oh, and Sit down. and it's National Ocean Day or week or something. Uh, World's Ocean Day was yesterday. We missed that. Uh, we have a new ocean. We now have a fifth ocean. New ocean just dropped. Yes. Billy Ocean. <laughs> How does that work? Uh, they they named one region that was part of other oceans a new ocean. It's called the Southern Ocean. And now we have five oceans to add to the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, and Arctic. We now have the Southern Ocean. And they said you needed a new ocean because it's got colder water, it's less salty, and has completely different wildlife than the other oceans. So it oh. makes sense. So I'll be dang. a new ocean has dropped. Get to know the new ocean. Armstrong and Getty.